So I'm going to read again today from a part of my book, I'm a Christian, so why am I still dot, 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 fill in the gap for yourself. Um, I'm going to read chapter 8, which is Inner Discipling, the Practice, or at least part of chapter 8. And I think it's worth pointing out that I'm not reading the whole book here. This is not uh, an audio book. I'm simply reading sections of the book so that you get a grasp of what it's about. And I'm going to then speak to that part of the book and expand on it a little bit. So let's start with uh, the reading chapter 8, Inner Discipling, the Practice. We have now worked through the theory of inner discipleship. It's time to start the practice. You have started thinking differently and understood things like taking the observer position, putting your thinking first, being in a better relationship with yourself, having a better understanding of the nature of sin, and having a biblical view of yourself as multifaceted. Having done this, we can now return to the big picture and start to put these things into practice. I want you to take the idea and importance of inner harmony from John 17, discussed earlier, then add the idea of discipleship as Jesus taught it and lived it out. Where does this take you? How do these things fit together in a way that helps you to grow spiritually? Let's look again at where this work will take place. New section, using the upper room to turn your parts into disciples. John 15.5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Remember earlier in the book when we learned about the upper room. When we internalise these ideas... We think of the upper room as the place where our parts become our disciples. The upper room is where the earthly traits are transformed into a spiritually motivated life. It's where the strong emotions and agendas become the peace that passes all understanding. It's where the place of fear becomes the place of courage. If you're going to develop an authentic recovery, if you're going to grow spiritually, you will need to clean and purify your upper room. In order to win the hearts and minds of your parts, you will first need to understand how the atmosphere changes when the Lord is present. It all has to do with building a relationship with your parts, just as Jesus did with his disciples. The men who became disciples were just living natural lives. They were just trying to make a living and get on in the world. Their ideas of how best to manage were formed by the circumstances they were in. Remember, they were traumatised and oppressed. They were taught a worldview that forever condemned them to feeling bad about themselves. They were always under the power of the Pharisees and the occupation of the Romans. When Jesus said, I forgive you, it threw them into a dispute with the world that condemned them, but it created harmony within them. You are caught in the same trap that the disciples were in, but possibly for different reasons. Their trap was the weight of God's law and their sinful nature. Today, 
the trap may be more about the medical model and how it creates and constructs our thinking. Either way, recovery and growth become possible when we are released from the trap and live in forgiveness and harmony. The trap of judgment brings inner conflict and self-loathing. Freedom through forgiveness offers you an opportunity for better relationships, particularly with yourself. When you hate that part of you that sins and gets you to do things that are unhealthy or wrong, you enter a battle with yourself that you're probably going to lose. There is very little chance that your mind is going to beat your brain. This is just the sort of trap that Satan wants you in. An everlasting battle that you can't win. What a distraction. Staying in that trap guarantees that you will not be doing the work of the kingdom effectively. When Jesus told us of the good news, he released us from this trap. And yet so many of us return to it. In my work with addicted people, I always start at this point. I make sure that my clients understand that to recover, they must develop a better relationship with themselves. To avoid this horrible trap, they have to stop hating themselves for the thing that they do. Paul helps us to understand this in his first letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. It can be very difficult to shift from a massive cultural idea such as the medical model and from the judgment and the self-loathing that comes with it. You may find that the biggest difficulty you have is facing a fear that your issues will run amok if you stop fighting them with everything you have. Let me reassure you that I have found this is rarely the case. As long as you have the desire to work with your parts, reassuring them that you, that is your Christ-mindedness, are present, willing and able to handle whatever they feel they need to protect you from. They will step back. They will not run amok. They will see that you are more than able to manage this challenge. Like the disciples with Christ, they will learn to trust you and to stop insisting on this way of protecting you. Now this is just what Jesus did with the disciples. He showed them that he was with them, fully present and able to deal with all the difficulties that they faced. Many times he said, fear not. He offered them new and better ways of managing themselves in difficult circumstances. All the way through the Old and New Testament, God reminds us that we do not need to fear. Nowhere is this better conveyed than in Psalm 23. In verse 4 it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It is important to recognise that when Jesus was left with the woman caught in the act of adultery, That's John 8 verse 11. He condemned the sin, but he loved the sinner, saying, go now and leave your life of sin. It's time now to make the brave decision to develop a new relationship with your parts, 
just as God did with his people when he sent his son to them. Instead of punishing yourself for not following the rules, it's time to work with your parts lovingly, appreciating what they're trying to do instead of blaming them for what they produce. You can only do this from the perspective of knowing that they're always trying to make a good thing happen. So that is a, a chunk of chapter 8 where we start uh, the practice, where we start to think about putting these rather difficult and challenging ideas into practice. So the first thing we, we're doing here in chapter 8 is saying, let's go over the sort of things that I, I sometimes call the seven hurdles, you know, the things that you need to get over, literally, in order to... Uh, use and benefit from this approach. Things like, uh, I mentioned taking the observer position, putting your thinking first, in other words, before your, your emotions or your behaviour, being in a better relationship with yourself, a great challenge, having a better understanding of the nature of sin, right? what actually is it, and having a more biblical view of yourself as multifaceted. Now, if you don't understand any of those, if it's the first time you've heard me speak or heard this, uh, reading this book, then I do urge you to go back to the earlier podcasts where I do go uh, and read from the book and cover all of those aspects. Because without those, you're really going to be struggling to practice this, to turn it into a method, to turn it into a practice. So the first thing I'd want to say is make sure that you are comfortable uh, with at least the idea of getting over those hurdles. Next we turn to the idea of using the idea and the importance of inner harmony. Now this is from John 17, I believe it's uh, verse 21, and we discussed this earlier about what Jesus is really meaning when he talks about harmony, and he's talking about inner harmony, and the idea that when we then take this rather profound idea of looking at the way Jesus discipled and actually placing that whole idea inside ourselves and saying, well, we can do the same thing. We can do what Jesus did, but internally. That's not to discount doing it externally. I'm not disagreeing with any of that. Of course, that's, uh, that's uh, another thing in itself. But what I'm saying is, as well as that, we can understand his word in this way. We can say, what if we take this thing internally? Well, I am telling you <laughs> how effective it is. And as I say, it's been hiding in plain sight for about 2,000 years. So I ask then, where does this take you? Right? Well, I think where it takes us is what is known as the upper room, uh, the chemical uh, as it's known, and I think it's a fascinating idea that the disciples had this upper room, this place that was, uh, you know, it's just an amazing thing, really. It's just this room that we can see how important it is, how many amazing things happened in that room, right? And now we're saying, well, you also have an upper room. It's your consciousness. It's where you live. It's that little room above your eyes, and that's where all the thoughts and pictures are, and that is where you live. I want you to think of that as your upper room. Now, if you think about things like doubting Thomas, you know, 
putting his fingers in the wounds of Christ. You know, the idea that after the crucifixion, you know, the disciples are all huddled together there in fear with all the doors locked, in fear of the Jews, actually. And Jesus comes into the room and says, Fear not, my peace be with you. I mean, how ama- just um, the amazing things that happen in that room. Well, I'm saying now that you take your parts, and what we know from neuroscience, that your parts are just like the disciples, they're fleshly, and they're constructed through experience, they're constructed through environment, they're constructed through trauma and threat. Just like the disciples, it's exactly the same. The more we apply this as if it's exactly the same, the better it works. So your parts are constructed in just the same way, except, of course, they're constructed through your experience, not the, uh, the, the disciples' experience at the time. It's unique to you. But your parts are doing just the same thing that the disciples are doing. They are varied in the strategies and they are responding and, uh, as it were, reacting to different threats. So what is this thing about the upper room? Right, This is where the change takes place. This is where your progress is going to take place. Now you see, what I'm saying is when you hate your parts or that part of you that sins, then you're entering a trap, a conflicted place. And from that place, it's almost impossible to grow. And what I'm saying here is that that's the trap that Satan wants you in. Of course, he doesn't want you to grow. He doesn't want the kingdom to grow. And so the idea that you're in a trap, just fighting with yourself forever, well, he would love you to stay there, right? But the the question is, how do you get out of it? Now, I know that a lot of you have been taught uh, to just fight harder. A lot of you have been taught that, you know, this is what's called fighting the good fight. Well, I have to tell you, that's a metaphor, right? Uh, when we talk about fighting the good fight, I assure you there's no actual fighting involved, right? Remember, nobody ever got stabbed with the sword of truth, okay? It's a metaphor, right? The battle is mine, says the Lord, all right? So when we talk about fighting the good fight, what we're saying is it's a good fight. Why? Because we're doing it Jesus' way, right? And remember, our weapons are not fleshly. Okay, we're, we're, we're conducting this in the Spirit. And when you do that, you do it the way Jesus did it, not the way the armies of this world do it. Right? So when you've been taught to just fight harder, right? and uh, we mistake the sin for the sinner. Just like in John 8:11, when he makes a distinction between the sin and the sinner, and he, and, and, and he does end with, go now and leave your life of sin when he's talking to the woman caught in the act of adultery. If ever you were going to, you know, fight sin in a, a very basic and fleshly way, well, you would have attacked this woman, right? But he says, who condemns you? None, sir. He says, well, then neither do I. Go now and leave your life of sin. And it's just amazing, though, where he gives us this lesson, and he does it many times, that we understand that we're actually supposed to separate. Now, if you're not doing that, then you're not doing what Christ did. What I'm asking you to do is to say, stop looking 
at what your parts have you doing and start looking at what they're trying to do. Just like the disciples, they're trying to live as best as they can. But the problem is they can't understand the, the spirit and the, way, the, the better way of doing things. You, they have to trust you that you know. Jesus said to the disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. He spoke with authority, not as the church leaders did. And they started to trust him. And that's what your parts will do with you. But only when you treat them with respect, you appreciate what they're trying to do, and you, you, know, you stop hating them. So, this is, I know that this is really, really challenging as an idea because of how much teaching we've been given that, you know, all we're supposed to do is just run away from this stuff, you know, and, and just fight it and, you know. So, I understand how challenging it is, but I want you to keep your focus on what did Jesus do? We've got to do the same thing as much as we can. Well, what he did is he took uh, the disciples who, you know, in Matthew 7, 11, he called evil to their face. And then he loved them. Now, that's the greatest challenge. It blew their minds in that. In those days, it's still blowing our minds today. And if you get this right here, it will blow your mind because it is the effective way forwards. It's about developing a better relationship with yourself. So what I want you to do, as you maybe listen to this again and listen to the reading, I want you to think and spend time thinking about how much you have been influenced by uh, both the medical model and some of the teaching and preaching you may have heard, uh, and how much you're involved in self-loathing. Ask yourself this, what do you think about yourself? Right? Look at how it contrasts with what God says about you, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are God's masterpiece, you are the pinnacle of his creation. Does your self-image fit with this? The other thing I ask you to get over, particularly if you have strong addictions or dependencies, is the idea that I've faced many times when I've worked with people face to face, they say, you're kidding me, right? You're telling me to stop fighting? You've no idea what my life's like. It's only because I fight this thing every day that I'm hanging on. If I stop fighting it, it would literally take over. And so fear runs amok here because uh, the history of people fighting with this stuff um, tempts them to believe that it's only the fight that's keeping them uh, hanging on. Now this in my experience, honestly, this is not true. This is not true. What I have found in working with people is that as long as you have this desire to work with them and start from a position of appreciation. Remember, uh, if you've looked in my, uh, my instruction on this, we have a three-part process, appreciate, educate, and negotiate. And once you're willing to do that, so you approach them from a position of respect, understanding that they're only trying to help. Well, the disciples were only trying to help. You know, when, when Peter cut off Malchus's ear, he was only trying to help, right? But Jesus said, put your sword away. You can teach your parts a better way, 
just as Jesus taught the disciples a better way. But he didn't hate Peter for trying for, for, for that behaviour. He simply instructed him to do better. He appreciated what Peter was trying to do. Because as in Romans 8 verse 7, you know, your, your flesh nature or your parts simply cannot understand God. They can't, they can't understand the spiritual things. They are fleshly things. So, working with them is the way forwards. And this is, as I say, you can study it for yourself. It's exactly what Jesus did. Just like Jesus, I want you to go into your upper room, clean it, purify it with your presence. I want you to reassure the fear, the anxiety, the ego, the pride and everything else you find in that room. I want you to reassure it that you are not just able but willing to handle everything that they're trying to um, protect you from. That they can trust you. Now we're going to go into the practice so much more um, as we go through the book but this is the first step in sort of thinking, how do I actually put this truth, this biblical truth, into practice? Well, there it is. And as I say in the book, it's time now to make the brave decision to develop a new relationship with your parts, just as God did with his people, just as Jesus did with his disciples. Instead of punishing yourself and hating yourself for not being able to follow all the rules and live a perfect life, it's time to start working with your parts lovingly, appreciating what they're trying to do instead of blaming them for what they actually do. You can only do this from the perspective of knowing that they're always trying to make a good thing happen. Well, there it is. I hope you got a lot from that. And next time we'll be reading from chapter 9. So until then... Bless you. Bye for now.